You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 239 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing, grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have one of the most interesting guests ever on Horsemanship Radio. Saddle up and hang on. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, back with me today. Hi, Jen. How are you? Greetings. I can't wait to hear these interviews. You recorded them all on your own, Little Miss Independent Podcaster. Yep. So I haven't heard them yet. So you just got back from a pretty epic road trip. Tell us where you were and why you went there. So cool. I was very far away (laughs) and it was in Barretos. It's B-A-R-R-E-T-O-S, Barretos, Brazil, which is fly all the way down to Sao Paulo and then drive five hours north from there. And there we are at the biggest rodeo and horse event Probably in the world, Jen. Really? It is huge. It's 500 acres. We'll start there. <laughs> I have no idea. I know there's at least 3,000 animals on the property at any one time because I interviewed the head veterinarian who's been there for eons. I don't know. Um, it's a, it's an interestingly run by a board, almost like generational organization. Very interesting, very cool, very devoted to the animal and agriculture. It's very steeped in the agriculture of Brazil and they love their animals and they love their people. I mean, it's just a, it's a big love fest for agriculture down there. And, uh, and we just had so much fun. So dad was invited to come and demonstrate. Now, the largest group that he had ever been able to demonstrate and show, exhibit, join up in front of in the 30 plus years that the queen put him on the road to demonstrate these things was about 7,000 people. And that is a big stadium in Germany, you know, for a horse event, right? 7,000 people is a lot of people. Now, imagine over 30,000 very loud, very excited Brazilians (laughs) Brazilians <laughs> in a stadium. Um, the stadium is huge. I think it holds about 50. So we had over we're, 30 we're, there. We're talking um, Super Bowl size crowd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for a horse event. And they're as, as excited and respectful they, as they are of animals, because that's what they're there for. They can't really be quiet. It's very hard to <laughs> pick up an audience. And dad has a wild horse. I am not going to spoil the whole story because I got to have him on to, to, to give the blow by blow. We do have it on video. We do. We will post it on YouTube and so that everybody can watch it. But it is the most unbelievable set of circumstances and miracles that you would ever hear, possibly ever. So I I just am so excited to share just a couple of the interviews that we had before. Actually, we did a lot of this, but One of them today is, um, he's a rock star down there. I mean, dad could go around and, I mean, if he went to a gas station, people were queuing up to have him sign stuff. (laughs) It was incredible. He's a rock star. But Felipe Massetti actually is 
for for a Bajetos um, kind of resident, he I mean because he lives there part of the time. He is a bigger rock star in Latin America than Dad is. I mean, he's just on a roll right now. They have a movie being made about him. They have a documentary already out about him. And you'll hear why if you listen to our interview in this episode. So hang on for that. And then we also have a really interesting, I, I paired these two interviews together because before we left for Brazil, Manjeev Chowdhury was here as our instructor for the summer and it was lovely to have him here and you know he wanted to catch up with dad learn some more it, it was just lovely having him but he specializes in the marari horses those are the horses that the ears come together into a tip and it looks like a heart mm -hmm. they're lovely and he breeds them trains them also involved in the thoroughbred industry in india and he's making a huge difference in india um, on so many levels. And so he, we, uh, I sat down over a dining room table with dad and the microphone and Manjeev just to hear this wisdom because Manjeev would really like to get dad to India. And dad's like at 88, he's like, hurry up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so both of those interviews are spectacular. I can't oh. wait for everybody to hear. Yeah. And speaking of spectacular, we have a spectacular title sponsor on Horsemanship Radio. We thank them because we couldn't do it without them. Hands-on gloves are a spectacular way to groom your horses, your dogs, your cats. If you have show cattle, they will appreciate it too. Brings out the best in their coat. So let's hear from them and when we will get back to our guests. Well, I'm sitting here today with Jay Michelson of hands-on gloves and I, we were talking today about the horse that has sensitive skin or the animal that has sensitive skin jay and i i wanted you to help me address that a little bit i know you've got some features to your products but i know you know more about it than i do so what do you do what do you say to the the owner that has somebody with sensitive skin our gloves are made from surgical grade nitrile so that makes them chemical resistant, mildew resistant, because you can bathe with them too. They're made to get wet. Um, but across the board, there's no latex in them. So it's great for any animal, any people that have latex issues. There's no latex in it. They're just your hands. And if you have a thin skin horse or dog, they're, they're cats, other animals. There are many animals that don't like to be touched in certain areas. But having the gloves on, it's just your hands. You get immediate feedback if you get to an area of that animal that is sensitive. And you can apply less pressure in those areas, and you can apply more pressure in the other areas. Um, we have professional grooms that work from us. Um, they groom for Olympians across the board, and these guys are phenomenal. And they did a study on mainly thoroughbreds, thin-skinned thoroughbreds, mm -hmm. and they found out that most people are grooming too light. Oh, <laughs> interesting. They're tickling the, the horses. And went in and applied just a little more pressure, and the horses loved it. Ah. And so that's kind of some of our experience with it. We, we have all kinds of animals and experience with that. I think you can throw these in the wash machine. Am I right? You can. Next time you bathe your animals with them, use the gloves. A little bit of soap suds up all the way. And what we do after we bathe our animals with them, we rinse them off, hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Um, you can throw them in the washing machine. Um, just don't put them in the dryer. And, okay. And um, just throw them in the washing machine, hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Well, Jay, how do people find out about you? Handsongloves.com. 
Manjeev became a certified Monty Roberts instructor in 2019, becoming the first and currently only Monty Roberts instructor in the whole of Asia. He's based in New Delhi, India, and travels around to train both people and horses. He's a keen polo player and is also involved in working with polo horses and has been applying the Monty Roberts methods to facilitate converting ex-race horses as well as the local indigenous breed, the Marari horse, into playing polo. His focus is pre-starting young thoroughbred horses using join-up and other Monty Roberts methods before they head to the racetrack a concept that is completely new in India. He also focuses on training students and grooms and is offering courses in Mahdi's concepts. Monty, I have a question for you. How did you come to know about Indian indigenous horses and the people those who have horses and what do you think about it? What I think about it is it's a very unique place on the face of this earth not only good, unique, but some challenges too. Um, When I was very young, I had a teacher say, you have to get a good education and move away from what your family has done before. And you should study behavioral sciences. So I studied behavioral sciences, not just behavior of horses, but behavior of people too, and other animals. So I went to four universities and I have two doctorates in behavioral sciences. And India has been one of those distant places that capture your imagination and you wonder why this and you wonder why that. Uh, For instance, the Indian people brought horses into their country from Africa. In those early days, I learned in my lessons. And those horses went on up through, I would would ask you, uh, Mongolia, when you're in India, is it easy to get to Mongolia? No, not exactly, because we have the mountain range in the middle. That's why Mongolian could not come down to India. They just stayed on top of it and go towards Europe. Well, it makes sense that there's a challenge there, because the Mongolian people took off north and up through Russia with one form of working with horses, while India seemed to be a pocket there of a different way to work with horses. And uh, unfortunately, I haven't had very many Indian students in my classes. I think only two. And maybe we've had three or 4,000 students. And I have almost 100 certified instructors. One Indian certified instructor, Manjeev. And I have another Indian graduate with me. He was with me eight years before my school ever started. And his name is Satish Simar. He was born in Jaipur. His father farms big acreage. And he learned about horses faster than anybody I could ever imagine. 
And I got, I took him in as a foreman of my sales that I was producing world champions everywhere. And he was one of the reasons my horses were doing as well as they were. He was quiet with his horses. He, he used his head and he did a good job. Satish Simar. I got him a job later, half a year in Kentucky with TaylorMade Farms. And he was their manager of the yearlings. And the yearlings were what they did to make money. They sold them in the yearling sale. And then half a year with me selling two-year-olds. Oh, it was fantastic. And today we can sit here and say that Satish Simar is the winningest trainer ever in history in Dubai. I got him a job with Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. And Sheikh Mohammed said he's the most fantastic guy with horses I've seen with the yearlings in Kentucky. And uh, I want to sit down with him and I want to give him a job. Well, that was wonderful. I didn't want to keep him just for being selfish. So I sent Satish Simar to Sheikh Mohammed and he said, I give you twenty-five dollars or $30,000 a year and I give you a new car every time you win a race. And they don't have highways. In, in, at that time, they didn't have any highways in uh, Dubai. And so he won races, 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 and the cars just stayed with the guy and they sent him the money that the car was worth. So Satish Simar has been one of my very, very good students over the years. And really, in that way, he was with me eight years. You came and took my courses. And for that, I can even be more proud because my courses produced a young Indian boy, Manjeev. Say your whole name. Manjeev Chaudhary. Okay. I'll just say Manjeev. <laughs> yes. And I just finished, I don't know, five courses or something? Yeah, I think more than that. Six courses? Yeah. <clears throat> just finished six courses here with Manjeev teaching them. And I have to tell you, there has never been an instructor get more compliments than Manjeev got from these students. So I know this is for a magazine. I know that the magazine is the name of the breed. Marwari. Mavwari Horses. My wife has a sculpture that she did for, for uh, Satish Simar, Mavwari Horses, yes. because Satish Simar breeds yes. Mavwari Horses in India while he works for Sheikh Mohammed. And now he's retired as a trainer and he only goes to sales to recommend horses for people. That's how he makes a living now. But I have to say that two of my most favorite students both came from India, and I only have two. <laughs> yes. So what is happening with India? Well, they took their horses in, and they did with their horses kind of in a pocket it, they didn't go up through Russia and out through the Scandinavian countries and they didn't have a lot of competition. Uh, they 
They have their horses because they love their horses. And they breed the horses for what they love to see. And these horses that came with their ears really close together like that apparently uh, caught their attention. And that's the Movari horse. And Satish loves his Movari horses. And they're a little bit showing Arabian tendencies. Yes. And they're a little bit showing thoroughbred tendencies. But they are an unusual horse all on their own. Yes. They're significantly different from any other breed. Not just in the looks of them, but in the way they think as well. And um, I learned about the travel of horses through my doctorates in behavioral sciences about India and how India was a simple little pocket, not little, it's a big country, but a pocket off of the track of the horse that came north from Africa. And they did their own thing with that horse. And they got them jumping because it's a natural tendency for horses to do. And they didn't do some of the things, not so much racing, but more human connection with the horses. And the Mavuari horses are a mixture of the Arabian tendencies and the thoroughbred tendencies and the warm blood tendencies where they will jump and they have more bone than most of the thoroughbreds do. They're a stronger horse than most of the thoroughbreds. And uh, I never owned one. I never owned a Mavuari horse. I never. I don't know if we've had a Mavuari on this place, but I studied them, and I know that they are not typical. They are unusual horses, and if you are the type of person that loves to do these kind of side things with a horse, and that you want to have a personal connection with that horse, the Mavuari horses stand alone. The thoroughbred horses will kick you in the head and run away. And, uh, you know, the Arabian horses, they'll jump up and down and go jittery on you. And I don't want to just put them down because we're talking to Mavuari people. I don't want to put those other breeds down. But the Mavuari horse is an unusual breed. And when you like them, you love them. And uh, I, I can see that from the outside, never having owned one at all. But I have studied every breed, every breed of horses. Uh, one of the things that Queen Elizabeth II did for me was the first thing she gave me, 23 thoroughbreds and uh, warm bloods. 23 untouched horses. She wanted to watch them take their first saddle and their first rider. And when there was criticism and they said, oh, it's a trick, it's a trick. People said, really? So she said, go get some of those big drum horses. Mm. They, were, they, they carry the big kettle drums yes. and they generally get bred in uh, Holland or, or somewhere like that, especially for the royal family. 
It's it's unbelievable. Um, if if it has four legs and it whinnies, I'm in love with it. I love horses. And when they brought me one of these big drum horses, they brought him to me because they thought he he was chasing the people out of the round pen with anger. And they thought, well, this will fix him, you know. And so I took him in the round pen. And uh, when he came at me, I pitched a line at him and he ran away. And then I said, go on, run some more. And he ran some more. And pretty soon he said, you know, this running away thing is not so good. Maybe I'll get acquainted with him. So I started to rub this horse. And I think it was less than 30 minutes that I had a saddle and a rider on this big horse, weighs a ton. And uh, the, critis- the critics, they started to, to run away. And the queen said, <laughs> claps like that in her hands. And she said, no, no, no. You said it was a trick. So you come and watch this. I'm, I, this is my horse. This horse has never had a saddle on before. And I know this. And the queen was my greatest uh, uh, backing, you know, supporter. Um, So she sent me all over the world. And um, one of the breeds that I've not had very many of in the round pen, but they've been very interesting, is the Mavari horse. And uh, two students... 100% of all the students that came to me from India are now at the top of the list of graduates from my courses. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. It happens because of the love of the horse and that in my genre, in my uh, way of working, violence is out. And uh, while there are people still in, in, in India that would be violent with a horse, it's not everybody. And most people love their horses. And the people that are violent with the horses, they're only doing what people did that brought the horses there. And they saw the traditional training of horses, which is to take them over and force them to do what you're going to do. But the good, the really good Indian trainers, they're not vicious and forceful. Satish Simar was uh, very quiet with his horses. And I brought him right here to my farm. And uh, I brought him yearlings. And then they were going to be sold in the two-year-old sale. And he would go down there. And every one of those babies, if they had some little problem, the vet comes in. They're quiet. They're nice. They never were uh, angry about anybody. And uh, the, the record is there uh, in, in how many we sold. But um, in one, one uh, owner in Germany, thoroughbred racers, racing horses, Andreas Jacobs, but uh, Walter Jacobs was his grandfather. And I went to work for Walter Jacobs because of a horse called Lomitas. And Lomitas was scheduled to be put down 
because he was trying to kill people at the starting gate. And I met him and I worked with him. And 10 days after I met him, he raced and he won. And he and a daughter that I bought for them, in three generations, they've earned 52 million US dollars. And in 26 years, I have produced 54 champions of their category. So you're not, we're not sitting here talking about somebody that just has an opinion about Mavori horses. In the Mavori breed, there's some horses that are probably just normal horses. And then there's some in there that are fantastic horses that can jump six foot six and uh, we'll do this and we'll do that. Willing horses that really try for you. Yeah, their ears touch at the top. That's just a, a, another little thing about them. But um, you're talking to someone that's been to India and I've seen some thin things happen in India that I didn't like at all. And I've seen a lot of things in India that I loved. And most of that was that they loved their animals. All the animals, not just horses. The, the cattle and the sheep and the goats and everything in, in India is loved by human beings more than most countries. You have to admit it. Um, yes, it sits off to the side. And it's not in the travel pattern where they catch everybody's opinions going through and change so fast. They haven't changed. They've stayed pretty much the way they were hundreds of years ago. And that's, that's a disadvantage for India because obviously we're all trying to improve our training. And so if you're living in an area where people are going through, then they learn how to improve. And in India, those kids grow up doing just what the generation before did. So when I get two young men come to my courses and they turn out to be two of the best that I've produced, it must be that they're open to suggestions and then they try things and then it works and they add to it. Um, I, I am a fan of India. I'm a fan of the Mavari horse and all animals in India. And yes, I would love to go to India more times. And I would love to talk to them about how they handle horses at the sales. And things like that, where I think I could improve the, you know, the general thinking of horses in India. But, um, Satish Simar doesn't go back to India very much, and he has done so well in Dubai that he just keeps doing well. And I don't know, Manjeev, about you, but I would love to support you somehow in India where you could broaden the things that I've learned about horses and cause India to start to change. What was the last experience when you went to India and how do you think that we can improve a little bit more from there? Well, the experience, the last experience I had when I was there, they took me all over India. But 
Primarily, I went there uh, and I stayed in a nice big hotel. What's the biggest city? New Delhi. I was in New Delhi. In a nice big hotel and they served nice food and everything. But I saw poor people. I saw poor people on the streets. And I saw poor animals on the streets. So the the... The dollars and cents, the the business area of India needs a lot of help. I'm not a corporate executive or anything like that. But what I would love to see is to stop letting the animals just roam around in the streets and on the roads. And I would love to bring them ways to take their animals into the world of uh business where they could get more money for the horses that they they produce and build up uh, their businesses somewhat so that it's a better financial arrangement than the horse industry is in uh, India right now uh, I bet it's better than it was a hundred years ago so it is improving When Satish first came to the United States, he came because he loved horses. And they put him in some universities, and he was just clicking off those courses. They would give him something to read, and um, then they would take a test, and he would get all the answers. Um, and then when he came to me, I, I witnessed somebody that was a real thinker. And every time I told him something, it went bingo right into his brain and the next time he he did whatever it was we were talking about he did it my way india is a very special place for horses and not very many people know that that's true so what would you think if i would say in near future because there are a lot of people are good people those who love animal and they're doing good to preserve the breed of indian horses indigenous horses if they would love to have you and guide them towards the best possible way to look after horses, what would you say for that? What I would think about that is that you have waited until I'm 88 years old. <laughs> and uh, yeah, India has waited. I was only there one time when the queen was sending me to different places. And, and now it's not easy, but I'm going tomorrow tomorrow night Day after. to uh, Brazil and Brazil is another place that's kind of in a pocket off by itself and there's a lot of violence toward the horses in Brazil and I'm going to the largest rodeo in the world there and uh, I'm trying to stay in good shape because the guy that's invited me to go there uh, he said I'm 88 years old and that when I was 80, I did 80 push-ups at 80 years of age. And now I have to go there and he says, can you do 88? And I said, no way. But I take up a challenge and uh, I guess it's been two months or two and a half months, something like that. And uh, yesterday, 102. yesterday I did... 102 and then 100. Yes. And I, I know I can do 88 now. Um, 
And and that's there's there's nothing terribly smart about that. It's just that if you want something bad enough, you can do it. And I would love to see India become um, more aware of the non-violent ways of training horses. I would love to see that. When I go to Brazil, they've already seen me there two or three times. And one time they said they were going to put me in jail because I said that the way the Brazilian people did it was not kind to the horses. And they said that I was lying to them, that they're always kind to the horses. Well, their traditional horsemanship is not kind. Uh, Now they believe me because there's students that have come here and gone back there and they're doing really well. We have uh, one instructor from Germany, uh, a lady instructor from Germany, that's going down there uh, at the same time. And she does demonstrations off on the side of my concepts. And uh, I I personally uh, feel like most of the people that are dealing with horses at the higher levels in Brazil now say, you know, Monty Roberts has got something to offer us. So they're taking me down there and they tell me that 40,000 people are going to see me while I'm there. And I I can't begin to tell you how good that makes me feel at 88 years of age, that I can still put my concepts out there and have people take them up. And, and uh, my goal in life is to leave the world a better place than I found it for horses and for people too. And what better way than to have 40,000 people see me work with horses and then see that it works and maybe go a little less violent with the way they've been training. So Brazil and um, India have a lot in common. Wouldn't it be nice if uh, the Mavwari business head group of people, committee, would send um, promising young Indians to our school and go through these courses that you went through, if they would come out like you and Satish Simar, it would change India overnight if I had 50 of them instead of two of them. Um, They could make a huge difference in uh, how horses are treated in, in India if they did that. Um, sir, I think once we start putting these educational information out, and I'm sure this Marwadi Horse Association and Marwadi Souvenir magazine will definitely help us to put the word out and more people would be keen to come and join the league. Okay, well, I just can't begin to tell you um, what a pleasure it's been that you're here to teach the courses that you taught. And um, I've not I've not had any instructor get the kind of compliments that you've had. Thank you very much, Monty. Thank you. I'm sure a lot of people will learn from this and try it and come and take the courses here with us.
couple years ago, I don't know how long ago it was now, mm-hmm. but uh, we we uh, had you on a, a number of our shows talking yeah. about the Equus Online University, which had just yeah. come out. It has developed. It's become better with the search engine in it, and it's become better with the forum because we have such an amazing forum. You know, a lot of those forums, people get on there and go, oh, no, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yeah, usually it's, it ends up with the whiners on forums. <laughs> exactly. Right. And it's not. What I see is a mentoring. Actually, it's it's almost the polar opposite because um, the, we, we do give these rosettes out for people who've completed so many lessons. And uh, once the rosettes started, now we have, uh, we're up to five rosettes uh, for somebody who's watched every lesson. And you you have those rosettes by your forum uh personality in your profile and uh so you can really see who's watched all these things so it gives them credibility when they come in and say hey if you watch this lesson so people come on there and they're using it as a um as a training tool frankly you know and they get on there and and I'm not bragging on on the university as the greatest training tool which I think it is but it's also a great place for people to be mentored as they begin their journey with horses um it really it really is cool so when they watch the lessons and they can watch them over and over again as many times as they want they get the lesson notes they get audio they get visual and then they've got the forum to kick around too plus we've got now since 2004 every week Without fail, we put up a Q&A from Monty himself. He chose the question, he answered it, and we put it in a database. And that's actually free for everybody to search and get to. It's it's open on our um, Equus Online University. In other words, it's a non-subscriber open source forum too. Uh, not forum, but a Q&A base. Uh, the forum is not. You're, you're behind a subscriber wall for the forum just so we know who's talking. But it is... Um, it is it's been an incredible experience, actually, to put these together with Stefan Peters and Will Simpson. You know who I'm talking about. These these guys have won everything yeah. in their worlds. And uh, Charlotte Bredals and and if I get started, Rich, Richard Winters and so many guest lecturers that are on there, too. So some people ask, why is it called university? Well, that's what a university is. It's uh, it's not just one opinion. It's not just one deliverer. You know, and, and I think that's the difference between the uh, everybody is putting out a YouTube these days and they're free so people ask us sometimes why do you charge like up to ten dollars a month and well it's it's expensive to make the university everybody knows quality is is uh not cheap but it's really our mission statement and i know that sounds a bit trite but it's true (laughs) when you when you've worked at it for five years just to get all that quantified and on there they're just almost no subjects we haven't covered at this point but um but dad and i were looking at the list and he goes Hey, I'm going to be making videos until well into my 90s. And I went, yes. (laughs) Promise and sign here. (laughs) So, so we do have, we do have a lot of subjects left to go and a lot of people we want to still get on there. What do you think of it, Glenn? Well, I think that one of the things about training horses as it, same as training anything really, uh, is that you're, you're going through stages and you're always coming up to a new, problem to solve uh-huh. or a new issue to deal with. And what I like about the university now that you have so much content on there mm-hmm. is that whatever issue you're running into, there's going to be something on there to help you. So not many people are going to go on there and watch all, you know, all the videos mm-hmm. uh, because there's just so many of them. What you're going to, what you're going to want to do is go on there and you're going to want to watch the videos that relate to the situation you're in currently with right. that particular horse. 
Um, and and that's what I like about it is it has it has so much content now that whatever you're dealing with, you're probably going to find an answer somewhere somehow. And if not, you can go to the forum. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, true. that's what I, I really like about it is wherever you're at now is where you can find that situation. Plus, you know, YouTube is so full of crap now. And I'm not saying that every video on there is crap, but there are, we all know what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, there are some that are. And, you know, you, one of the things that I really like about this is, you know, you can trust it. Uh, you know that w- what you're seeing is something you can trust. I've tried doing repairs on uh, appliances and things off of YouTube videos. <laughs> and, and you know, some of them are good. Some are not so good. And some, one of the things I couldn't get back together again. So, oh. <laughs> you know, it's, you know that, at least you didn't hurt yourself. That's right. Good. <laughs> so that's what I really like about it. And for that, yes, it costs a few, it costs a few pennies to do it, but it's worth it. Um, nice. You know, it's worth it to do it right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And it is tried and true. Everything on there is so tried and true. If not, you know, we'd be, they'd be throwing tomatoes at us in the forum. <laughs> but it really does work. And, and we, we are so happy that, uh, so many people have been, um, interested enough at least to go there, you know, and I should plug in the, the website right now is, um, www.montyrobertsuniversity.com, um, because people can get a free day pass on there and go see what we're talking about and, uh, and check out that search engine too. You can put in the weird little keywords and you, you find all kinds of crazy stuff. It really is cool. And it breaks it down by, um, not just the lessons first, then it goes into the Q and A database and then it goes into the forum. So you can actually pick and choose where you, um, pick up those keywords from too. So um, it, it's great. And then you also have little challenge questions, which I love the little tests at the end. You know, there's always four questions at the end of your lesson to make sure that, you know, you were, you were watching. And um, if, if you get it wrong, it just says, want to try again? <laughs> and so you, by process of elimination, you get it right. And then it, it moves you on. And that's how you get your rosettes that you've accomplished that, um, that lesson and that you get to move on. But I, you know, what you just said is so important because when we were setting this, idea up. Um, nothing really existed like it. We didn't want it to be first you have to do one and then you have to do number two and then you have to do number three and like it was some sort of programmed process. Yeah, because that, that never works. It doesn't. It, <laughs> no. you know, because we wanted people who were amazing trainers to jump in there and go, this is what I, you know, what does Monty say about this or what does this trainer say about that? Uh, and they could be at a world-class level or it could be a very beginner saying, where do I start first? And you, you can just go down the lessons if you want. But, you know, it's like you said, if all of a sudden you have a horse that won't load and you didn't have one last week that didn't load, you know, you go to the loading lessons right. and it's exactly. a whole series on it. And it's MontyRobertsUniversity.com? That's it. Yeah. Thanks for asking. When Felipe Massetti leaves his adoptive home of Canada, the aspiring journalist sets out on an epic quest to ride from Calgary to his family's home in Brazil and later beyond, entirely on horseback. We're in Bajeto. <laughs> The rodeo, the huge rodeo, the biggest one I've ever been to for sure. Dad was seen by 30,000 people the other night, blew his mind. He's, he, he figured out that he'd only been seen probably in one place at a time by 7,000 people maximum. So 30,000 was big, but everything's big, including your story, Felipe. It's a huge story. Yeah. And now it's going to be a movie. Yes. So I want to start back a little bit with your story without having to be too redundant for you because... You're a rock star around here, and you must have repeated that story a thousand times. So you went almost 10,000 miles from Calgary, Canada, to where we're sitting right now in Bajetos, 
Brazil yeah. at the rodeo. And you have a story that inspires so many people because you didn't quit. Yes, I think maybe that's the biggest part of the story. But the part I like is that you were on horses. So yes. that's why we're sitting here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because we have horses in yes, common. Yeah. But you also talk about the people that, that you spent two years planning this yeah. journey. Yeah. And it is a journey. Yeah. But part of that planning was because of your journalism background, if I'm right. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that you wanted to meet the people along the way and yep. be a part of living fully mindful yep. and present. Yep. And it was in your DNA. That's the part I don't understand, but <laughs> you'll have to help us with that. Yes. So tell me about why you were set out to talk to people. Is it just the journalism background and it got you took it into another level or what happened? Well, so it, it, it was a dream. First of all, thank you so much for having me on here. It's such an honor to My be, pleasure. you know, to be with your family. Your dad is a, a huge inspiration for a lot of horse people and, and like myself. So it's been so cool to get to spend the last few days um, with you guys here in Brazil and by Hitos Brazil and see him work in front of 30,000 people. It was just, it was so cool. Um, so everything started with a book when I was a little kid. As you know, my dad used to read Chifley's Ride to me, uh, the most epic travel story of the 20th century. You know, Aim Chifley saddles two Creole horses in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Manchengato are the name of the horses. And against all odds, makes it to the U.S. Welcome like a hero and uh, writes this beautiful book called Chifley's Ride. Yeah. And my dad has always loved horses. He uh, gave me the name Felipe because it means a friend of horses. And before I could walk with my own legs, I was atop of, you know, a sorrel quarter horse with my dad, you know, and uh, watching him cut or rope or, and, um, that's why I say it's in my DNA. You know, I, I, I feel like, um, everything's already written. You know, I feel like there's, there's a God and, um, I feel like everyone has their own journey and mm. this was mine. And it was just everything led me to this moment where either I went on this long ride or I did nothing. And hmm. the journalism was just a way to, it kind of was just, it was destiny as well. Like I was like, okay, so, you know, my daddy used to read me the story. I used to dream about it when I was a kid. You know, I, I continued with the horses. I learned how to shoe horses. And and then all of a sudden I'm studying journalism and I'm, I'm in my last year and, and I'm like, can you imagine if I, if I lived this dream like Chifley did, but I also documented it all mm. with a camera and, and shot a documentary and told people stories. And, and in reading that book, I, I could see the power of traveling at three miles an hour, 20 miles a day. Like you don't miss anything. Yeah. And the horses require you to enter people's homes. You know, when you travel on a plane, you miss everything. Right. When you travel on a car, you do a thousand miles a day or, you know, 800 miles a day on a motorcycle, a, a bicycle, you can do, you know, <laughs> yeah. 50 to 60 to 100 miles a day and you don't need to feed that bike. You don't need water for that bicycle. You lay it down at the end of the day, pitch your tent or get a hotel room. Right. And, but with the horse, you need water, you need hay, you need grain, you need, you know, a, pl a safe place for them to sleep. So, you know, all of that was together in my heart and my, my mind and I'm thinking about this and doing research and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to live this dream. I'm going to graduate and then I'm going to plan this ride from Canada to Brazil. Originally from Brazil, my parents moved to Canada when I was nine. So that was always the X on the map yeah. where I'm going to go. I'm going to go back home. And, um, and the journalism was how I, how I paid for it. You know, I created this project to, to film everything, to write the books and, and tell people stories. 
And you were you were working two jobs. I was working two jobs, yes, ma'am. Or not Calgary, in sorry. Toronto. You're in Toronto. Yeah, I went to right. school in Toronto mm-hmm. and uh, was working two jobs, was studying, didn't have a penny, um, and had to put all this together. I needed to find the horses that would be adequate for this kind of right. you know work. It's completely different than roping or doing any kind of a question event, you know, and um, and get the know how. I didn't know how to travel on horseback. I'd never traveled more than a day on the back of a horse. And um, and and prepare my mind, my body, and, and convince crazy. people. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. crazy people say right? that a lot to me. Yeah. <laughs> they still do, but now it's like, you did it. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's different. It's like, man, you're crazy. You did it. But before, it was like, you're crazy. Like, yeah. You're going to die. Right. Like, this has never right. happened. Yeah. Right. No, yeah, I'm glad I didn't meet you before. No, I'm, no I wouldn't yeah. talk you out of it, though, because I, too, love um, my mom and I have gone packed. Nice. You know, yeah, it's and a week at a time. Yes, now we're ma'am. not talking about you know we yes, have a Wrangler, okay? Yeah, so, but we don't have lefty and righty, which is your cameras, <laughs> yes, right? You know, yeah, lefty exactly. and righty. You didn't have uh, anybody with you. No. You had a GoPro and and some recording, yeah. but you know that's yeah. it. So I mean, I think the thing that hit me powerfully with some of your story was the fact that you met people that had nothing. Yes, and they appeared to be happier. Yeah, it's you crazy. really stripped it down too, right? Oh yeah, like you learn how little you need to survive and, and to be happy. You know, all I had was the pack saddle, which you know, and uh, it has to be as light as possible, right? So, because your horses are carrying it, and um, literally, like you're, I had two pairs of jeans, you know, four shirts, a couple of socks, a couple of underwear, my my toothbrush, first aid kit for the horses, yeah. Raymond noodle, a little one burner oven, my tent. And that's it. Like I didn't have, you know, three boots or my car or a fridge or a house. And um, yeah, there were some of the happiest moments of my life, you know, like being out in the middle of the Chihuahua Desert with my dad. You know, my dad rode with me for three months in Mexico or or being in Yellowstone National Park. Just, you know, my horses and I and, and this beautiful landscape and these animals. And yeah, it was amazing. And then, like you said, you meet people because um, this is one of the great uh one of the great things and, and lessons that I got from this journey is that I was able to sit down with people at the dinner table uh, from all walks of life, you know, all kinds of religions, socioeconomic backgrounds, um, people that had everything, people that had nothing. And you start to realize that material things weigh down on people. You know what I mean? A lot of times we strive for that. We've built a society today where, you know, we, we tell people that that's good and that's what you have to work for. But then you meet these people that have gone there and the price they pay is a complete lack of time to be with their family and their loved ones. Um, you know, and that to me, from all of this, I always say that I got my uh, my BA in journalism in Toronto, but I got my master's in humanity from mm-hmm. the saddle, you know? And, and you start to realize that that's it. Like, there's no secret. It's your family. Mm-hmm. It's the people you love. It's the animals you love. It's your friends. You know what I mean? That's what you're going to hold on to. And that's what life and living is all about. It's love. It's feeling love for people and loving them. And, and you know, the people that have little, very little things um, have an abundance of that. You mm-hmm. know, that time to spend with their family and, and that love. And then sometimes with the people that I met that had these Ferraris and these jets, it, they didn't have that time. So Right. Do you feel like you are a bigger inspiration for people? Like you have a movie coming out. They're yes, making a movie about your story. Yes, ma'am. Do you feel like it's more for inspiring people or, you know, to, to do something that they want to do? Yes, ma'am. Or is it just a really great story that people should hear so they feel... 
good. I think it's both. I think it's both. I think it's both. It's entertainment, like all my projects, the books, the documentary, now the the narrative feature. I think that um, it's all really entertaining. You could read my books and never have gone on a horse or be a person that has already reached your dreams and your goals and say, man, that was that was a damn good story, you know yeah. what I mean? And be entertained whether you watch the doc and this film as well. But at the same time, they all have a very, um, like a very big motivational vein within the project. Like I want people to, to read the book or watch this and think like, what's like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, what's my dream? Like, you know, what's my goal? What's my, like, what am I doing to make that happen? You know what I mean? And yeah. a lot of self searching. Cause I think that that's the, the first step self knowledge, you know, like, if I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do, if I didn't have an X on my map, I would have never done this, right? And I think today I meet a lot of people who are kind of wandering, like they're lost, they don't know, they're, and it just goes by too quick, right? Like, and then you get to the end and it's like, oh man, like I, I should have done that thing that made me happy. Or So I want people first to, to like, I want to shake them up. And I think it happens. Like people tell me all the time when they watch my documentary, like I've had people that are like 60, 70 years old and say, you know what? I thought I was too old, but I'm going to get after it. And I'm going to do that thing that I want to do, you know, whatever it is, like go to college. Some people have told me like, you motivated me to go to college wow. or you motivated me to ride a bike across the country or ride a horse across Europe or, you know, it doesn't have to be a horse. Like everyone has their own journey. Right. right. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's my biggest dream and goal today is to motivate people to, 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 to live, you know, actually be present and actually realize that this is a huge opportunity just yeah. to be here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we all have that little thing inside of us that makes our heart beat. And so find it and get after it. Yeah. So you are so carpe diem, right? You know, seize the day. Yes, ma'am. Uh, just live yes, in, ma'am. The, in the moment. I, yes, ma'am. And that's great for kids. Yes. That is such a great, because as yeah. you say, you yeah. know, there's there's only one way to build a, an entire life of it. Yes. You start early. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? You know? Yeah. But I love the fact that because we have so many people we talk to that are, well, let's call it over 40 yep. and they're getting back into life. They've yeah. either, you know, made their money or yes. they've grown their let's kids or whatever. It, right? let's yes. get, and they're it's at their crossroads. Yes. And we keep talking horses, yes. you know, yeah. because that's our world. Yeah. And, but a lot of it for them is confidence building, bravery yes. to do something, yes. something they felt completely comfortable doing as a kid, yes. but now they're not sure about of it course, anymore. Like course. what happened to that freedom feeling, yes. you know? Yes. And so I think I think you inspire a lot of people just because you didn't ride a horse for more than one day and <laughs> yes. then you do for, you know, yes, ma'am. more than a year. Yes, so ma'am. um ten thousand miles. Yeah. How many encounters with medical issues? I know that one of the horses got hit at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what? where did you, I mean, not only just the one foot in front of the other, yeah. what were some of the things that really did want to make you quit? Yeah, so it was just, you know, this is the hardest thing you will ever do with your life. You know, it's just, you know, horses, it's hard enough to take horses, take care of horses in a ranch where you have, <laughs> you know, a feed bucket and, and, and everything you need at, at, at an arm's reach. But um, that, that's the hardest part, you know, the, like I, I love horses and, and they're like my kids, right? They become an extension of your body. I love to chew quarter horses, French and bruiser. Mm-hmm. They were donated from two ranches in Montana, yeah, Stan cool Weaver and, uh, and, uh, Copper Spring Ranch, Brian Anderson. And, uh, and then when I got to, um, New Mexico, Texas, I was, um, given a third horse, a Mustang by the Taos Pueblo, uh, indigenous people and, and Karen Hardy of, uh, an Amer- a great American a trainer who became like a mom to me. People always adopt you. And those three horses 
you know, you become um, a herd. Like it's, you know, and, and like I said, they're my kids. So the hardest part was always finding water for them, finding feed, um, keeping them safe. We had one horse get hit by a car, Frenchie, in Mexico, like you said, a truck. And thank God, like a miracle, the horse survived. We didn't have to put him down. I had to spend one month taking care of him. And eventually we were able to get him back to health and, and, and continue on. He's on my parents ranch here in brazil now we retired him 22 years old and um i had one horse uh bruiser colic in in central america i had uh dude the the mustang go into a cattle guard in uh, costa rica so there was a lot of those are the biggest moments where you're like oh my god like you just the, the world falls apart around you but mm-hmm. but then you talk about extreme heat in central america 45 degrees humidity you talk about you know cold minus 15 snow you know never-ending mountains deserts uh, i saw two people shot dead in central america I had to stay in the home of drug lords um, the solitude, you know, to be out there by yourself for 10 days without seeing anyone and, and what that does to you psychologically and, and the thoughts and, and the dark places you go. And I have 10,000 miles in front of me, like I'm going to die. Like, and, uh, and it just kind of hits you like what you're about to do, you know? And, uh, but I, the, the, like I always tell people, the horses were the glue, you know, like the thought process is always there to say, I want to quit. I want to cry. I want to go home. Like, get me out of here. Call my mom. Like, send a helicopter. Like, do something. But I couldn't leave them behind. Like, how was I going to leave my kids behind in the middle of Mexico and say, hey, good luck. Like, here, sell them to a a farmer. You know what I mean? Like, I had to get them home. Like, once I left Calgary, they were 100%, um, like, my responsibility. Like, I had to get those horses home safe here to Brazil to retire them and, and give them the life they deserve. Like, they're the heroes they're the everything like if it wasn't for them i wouldn't have walked one single kilometer if it wasn't for them i wouldn't have finished those horses changed my life they made me a better person and i owe everything to them like today i make my living um from those horses you know what i mean like from the story that they wrote um that they built that you know we built together and uh so i'm eternally grateful for them and and they were the ones that didn't allow me to quit but thinking about it every day yeah exactly (laughs) The three books are? Three books. First one is Long Ride Home. It's my ride from Canada to Brazil. Then after those 10,000 miles, I decided to ride a little more. So then I rode to Ushuaia, Argentina. Uh, that book's called Long Ride to the End of the World. It's known at the end of the world because it's the southernmost tip um, in the Americas. And then met Clara, my fiance, on that trip. That was an important trip. Yeah, that was a very important trip. Yes, ma'am. God sent me on that trip. And uh, I always say in an age where everyone meets people on Tinder, (laughs) I met my wife on the back of a horse. And uh, when I got to Ushuaia, it was just very natural. I was like, well, now I need to finish the Americas, right? All that's left is the the north. So, So then in 2019, Clara and I, um, started from Fairbanks, Alaska, and uh, I rode to the Calgary Stampede, where I started everything. So that book's called Last Long Ride. So the three rides uh, took me eight years. I rode uh, 16,000 miles uh, across 12 countries, and you can read about it in the, the books, a lot of adventure. You can find them on Amazon. Yeah, and a website or anything? How do people... So, easiest way is my Instagram, Felipe Massetti, F-I-L-I-P-E-M-A-S-E-T-T-I. Or if you go on Amazon and just type in Long Ride Home, 
you'll find the first book and then the other three will come up. Okay, fantastic. Yes, ma'am. so inspiring to meet you. So thank nice you so to meet you. Much. Glad you and dad could meet. Oh, it was the best. It was, a, it was a dream come true for me. So thank you guys for coming. It was just so cool to, to get to see him work, you know, the first day when we went to Valdo's Ranch. It was just, I, I had goosebumps all over, you know, it was just, I, I'm really glad I got to, to have that experience. It was, uh, it was awesome. Very nice to meet you too. And yes. I hope we get to see you here or there or I'm anywhere. Sure. I hope you can, if you come to California. Oh, I'm definitely going to come bother you guys. Yes, yes ma'am. Yes, yeah. Man. Now that I know you, yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely If I see a guy coming down the drive on a horse you know who it three, is? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see those orange panniers? You know it's me. Thank you so exactly. much. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Whisper. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than The magic in the language of Episode 100. Dear Monty, do you still have Shy Boy? Where is he? I have read the Shy Boy book and seen both the films. It seems that you took Shy Boy home, but I wasn't clear. Did you release him again, or is he still a domesticated Mustang? I would be interested to know what he does for activity and how his health is. I can't remember his age, but since he's a bit of a hero for me, I would like to know more about his current status. Monty's answer. Shy Boy is at home on Flags Up Farms in Solvang, California. As the second DVD indicates, he came back to us and we took him home. That second DVD was made in 1998, while the first was in 1997. I've taken Shy Boy back to the wilderness several times in the past eight years, and while we've had fun out there, it seems to me he has been quite happy to return home. The BLM records show that he was born in 1994 and captured in 1997 near Tonopah, Nevada. He is a wonderful little horse who loves people and especially children. Thank you for asking about him as it gives me a chance to let everyone know that he is happy and fine. Shy Boy is active in the training program here at Flag is Up. He often escorts young thoroughbreds to and from the racetrack and even assists in them learning about the starting gate and other procedures that tend to frighten the young race prospects. Occasionally, Shy Boy will be asked to assist the young Western cutting horses that are in training and seems to have a lot of fun with this activity. And the recent past, Shy Boy was even ridden by a young lady who was interested in dressage. While he will never be a competitive dressage horse, he did learn to move in a very attractive fashion under the dressage saddle and did not appear to be out of place even in this discipline, well removed from anything to which he was accustomed. Many of Shy Boy's fans will remember that he traveled extensively in the western part of the United States during the late 1990s and early 2000s. He was a presence at public television broadcasting studio while they aired his DVD as part of the PBS fundraiser. He was perfectly comfortable going into studios with lights, cameras, and many objects that would frighten an ordinary horse. Literally hundreds of millions of people, one million on site and the rest by TV, watched Shy Boy lead five other Mustangs down Colorado Boulevard in 2004 and 2005 Tournament of Roses Parade in Pasadena, California on New Year's Day. He was a role model for the other horses and a perfect mount for my wife, Pat, who led our Mustang contingency while riding this wonderful partner of ours. 
At age 23, Shy Boy looks terrific, and to observe him at home and flag is up, you would get the impression that he feels like he owns the place, and all the other horses residing here are simply meant to keep him company. Some nice people donated a special floor comfort stall for Shy Boy's doll. It is a cushy rubber mat, and with bedding over it, it's as though he's on a cloud. His days are spent either working or in an outsized paddock, and at night, he's on his cloud. On our front gate, it says, Visitors Welcome, and we mean it. You can come and see Shy Boy anytime you want. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. The very end of September, we have the 29th to October 1, A Horses and Healing. It's our fourth this year. And then in October 9 through 13, we have the introductory exams. So any of those out there who are lingering about thinking about taking the exams after your course, uh, get ready. And then on the 14th of October, we have our Mountain Trail Play Day. October 16 through 28 is the introductory course of horsemanship. And then 16 through 18 is the overlap. That's the first steps to Monty's methods. And then October 19 through 21 is the introductory course, Module 2, that's join up. And then October 23 through 25 is the introductory course, Module 3, that's long lining. And then finally in October, we have the 26th through the 28th, that's Module 4, and that's preparation for the exams. That's after you've taken the three before that. And then in November, we have three through five is our Horse and Sin Healing. And then the 11th is our Mountain Trail Play Day. And then 13 through 21 are advanced exams. We have Denise Heinlein coming over from Germany for those. And you know who you are who are joining us there. And then uh, November 27th through December 15th is our advanced course. And I hope to see a lot of people who pass their intro exams coming over for that. Then December, we have one date. We have the 9th, and that's the Mountain Trail Play Day. Long-term thinkers, January, get, get started with a new year. 8th through 12th is the Gentling Wild Horse course. That's a That feels fast, so go for it. And then the 20th is the Mountain Trail Play Day. The 27th is a Horsemanship 101. It's been a while since we had one of those. So January 27, Horsemanship 101. Long-term planners, February 2024. We have the 5th through the 9th Monty Special Training. And you know that that's good. It's really good. There we go. Plenty of opportunities at Flag is Up Farms California Horse Center. Yes. And you can find all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com, including this here podcast. You can also speak to a real live pleasant human being mm-hmm. at Flag is Up Farms, 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com or MontyRoberts.com, where you're going to find links, photos, and more information about today's topics and guests. <gasps> <laughs> I made you busy today. (laughs) (laughs) And we love your feedback. Great place to give us feedback is on social media. Facebook, it's Monty Roberts, the one with the little blue check mark. And on Twitter, as well as Instagram, it's Monty underscore Roberts. Yeah. And you know, I'll add too that we do have a YouTube channel, the Monty channel. So if you go to YouTube and put at Monty channel, that's all you have to do. You'll find it. And that's where you'll find that, um, bit of 
video that we talked about. It's uh, well, heck, oh, there's subscribe dog on it. Yeah, really. Absolutely. I mean, we have some great stuff there. Yeah, and oh, many thanks to know. our sponsor. You didn't know either, see? Because we should have added to this. We have so many points of contact and content. I can't keep track. I can't. So many thanks to our sponsors too. Hands on gloves. Love you guys, Jay. Thank you over there. We love your gloves. I took them to Brazil with me. We 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 not only. <laughs> We rubbed on horses and bulls. I will just say it like that. So there we go. <laughs> and and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. That is our reason for being. It's our mission statement out there. There's almost 800 lessons up there now. So we're real excited about that. Educational tool. Very affordable and uh, got everything in there, man. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.